Well, just um, a few things to, to be aware of. Uh, first off, if you're, if you're a guest this morning, welcome, and uh, we want you to feel comfortable. We do have gifts for our guests, and so if, uh, if you see me or see somebody in the coffee area or one of our, our greeters, uh, we, we'd love to, to give you a gift and just let you know how much we appreciate you visiting with us this morning. Uh, and also, we, we don't pass a plate, but we believe in offerings, and so in the back of the sanctuary, we have um, giving boxes, and, and we, we also, uh, a lot of people give online. We'd encourage you to give. We believe in giving. We we believe giving is what God wants for you, not from you, and we believe that we're blessed when we give. And so I encourage you to, to consider that if, you, if you're not already. Uh, do continue to remember um, Christy Anderson and your prayers. Her mom, Ruth, is in final stages, and, uh, and so the hospice has been called in. And uh, we, don't, we don't have a timetable, of course, but uh, just remember Christy as she's um, with her mom and dealing with these last days, always very difficult to, to deal with. And and so keep her in your prayers. Tonight, camp meeting kicks off, and our own Amy Davis is going to be participating on the praise team, right? The worship team, right? Woo! Woo! Yeah. Is it you and Chris or just you? Chris will be the star of the show. Where, where, where is Chris? Yeah, Chris is already there, I guess. No, no, he's, I saw Chris. And so we're excited about that camp meeting all week. We'd encourage you. It's at St. Mary's. If you need any directions as to where that might be, it's, it goes through next Saturday. Uh, next Friday night will be the ordination service, and, and those are always special. And so I'd encourage you to, to, to support uh, your district. We're part of a, a, a consortium of churches. Uh, it's just not us alone, but there's many churches on our district. And I encourage you, if you'd like to participate in that, see me. I'll give you directions and we, we can get you there. Well, today we're going to start with a baby dedication. I'm going to ask the Hicks family and, and those with them to come forward and stand in front of me if on the floor to begin with. Then we'll, we'll bring, yeah, let's have everybody come up. Everybody come up with them. Okay, yeah. yeah look at them. They look so excited about it. And we've got, um, you guys can stand right here, and we'll bring you up here in a, in a second so people can see little Max. Yeah, look at this guy. Isn't that a good-looking guy? I'm glad he looks like Sarah. <laughs> yeah, I say that about my boys all the time. I'm glad they look like Terry. Thad and Sarah and Max. I reached out to Sarah and said, do you have any pictures? And she said, yeah, we have a few. And so we, we got them flashing up there, Spencer. There we go. We got them flashing up there as we go through this dedication. Uh, they, they were out of town last baby dedication, and they'll, they'll be out. We're having another baby dedication, New Life Sunday, here in a couple weeks, and they're going to be out of town then. And, and so we, I wanted to dedicate Max before he was too heavy for me to lift. And so I said, yeah, let's, let's do this now. Um, I've watched him on Facebook, and uh, a lot of joy. Uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons I don't want to be on Facebook, uh, but there's a lot of reasons I like being on Facebook. And one of them is seeing you guys and seeing your lives. And, and Max has been a joy this past year. Uh, but it'd be wrong to talk about this overwhelming joy without talking about sorrow. Uh, we, we can't see Max without thinking about Oliver and Otto. Uh, I'd love to see them. Uh, with their little brother. Um, you know, there's great joy and there's great sorrow. And great joy does not eliminate great sorrow. <laughs> this isn't bittersweet. This is joy. But at the same time, we remember. And it's the awesome thing about our God the wonder of our God, is our God says, I want your great joys and I want your great sorrows. And so we've given both to God, the sorrow that we experienced and now the joy that we're experiencing. And so we're dedicating Max. We're committing Max. And God wants to walk with you as you raise this beautiful boy. We believe that children and families matter. We, we believe that Jesus valued children, and so we 
value children. Children are an important part of the ministry of Jesus. The, the miracles talk about, with the fishes and loaves, talk about 5,000 men fed with women and children. So children were a part of those he was teaching. In Matthew, it's written, some children were brought to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. The disciples told them not to bother him, but Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. This morning, we dedicate Max in the sure faith that God is deeply interested in him. Do you believe that this morning, church? (laughs) I do. This is one of the most holy, significant things I believe that we do in a church. I think it's equal to baptisms because it's, it's something a parent does for their kids. It's more than ritual. It's more than a photo opportunity, but it speaks to your faith. The faith of this family that stands before me. Thad and Sarah, you're saying that you trust God. You trust God with the most precious gift he's ever given you. And you're trusting him in this dedication. You're saying that your desire for Max is that he may early know and follow the will of God, may live and die a Christian, and come into everlasting blessedness. God is faithful. God will do his part, that you have a part as parents as well. In order for this to happen, it'll be your duty as parents to teach Max early the fear of the Lord, to watch over his education, they not be led astray, to direct his youthful mind to the Holy Scriptures and his feet to the sanctuary, to restrain him from evil associates and habits, as much as in you lies to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will you endeavor to do so by the help of God? If you will, say, we will. We don't raise kids by ourselves. <laughs> Look at this great support. We have this great family that surrounds you. And and so family, you have a part to play. You get encouraged. You can support. You you can do all these things to build faith into the life of Max. Will will you support this family? If so, say we will. We're better together. We are a church. A church is not just an organization, but it's a family. And we're going to talk about that this morning. We are family. And so we do these things together. And, and so there'll be children's teachers. There'll, there'll, be, there'll be times in the sanctuary where you'll see Max running around and, and you'll have the opportunity either to, to pat him on the say, head and say, hey, I'm glad you're here, or you'll say, stop running. <laughs> I hope you pat him on the head and say, I'm so glad you're running in our sanctuary. You'll have a part to play, church, in the raising of Max. You can invest in him. Will you as a church invest in and support this family? If so, say, we will. Well, now here we go. Now I got to try to lift him. Let me wipe the tears from my face. You guys want to come up here? Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, look at that. He reached for me. You guys come up here too. Anything you want to say, bud? You want to talk? No? Okay. You say, Dada, you want to preach? Oh, you want to play the piano? Oh, you want the big mic. Okay, here we go. Are we on? Can we say anything in here? Okay, okay, all right. I guess I better pray with him before he gets bored with me. You're a good-looking fella. Our Heavenly Father, right now, we just give you praise for this precious life. We're thankful for Max. We're thankful for the joy that he brings. We pray, Lord, that you will bless him and use him, that he will early find your will. Lord, that he will be a man of God, that he will will seek your kingdom, that he will seek your face, and Lord, you will be glorified by the way he lives his life. We pray for Thad and Sarah, that you'll bless them, Lord, that you will use them as parents, and as they raise Max, Lord, may he see you in them and their love for one another. We pray for this family and this church, Lord. May we be the people that you call us to be. Now we pray these things and we dedicate Max in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. You're a pretty good boy. Yeah. That's what all of you want to do with my mouth after I've talked too long, right? Let's give him a hand.
Oh, that we have a a gift with some things in there for you folks. God bless you. Well, here comes our praise team. I'm going to pray. Why don't you stand with me, if you will? I'm not sure if there's any greater call to worship uh, that, that I've experienced as a pastor than a baby dedication. <laughs> Maybe a baptism, because in, the, in, in a baby dedication, Thad and Sarah are standing before you, and they are giving back to God. They are dedicating back to God the most important, the most precious thing that's ever been given to them. And see, that's what worship is. Worship, worship is just giving back to God our lives. So, so worship isn't just a song. We, we like to sing a song. It's not just clapping our hands or playing a tune. But, but worship is this act of giving ourselves to God. And so in our singing, one of the things we're doing is we're recognizing who God is, who we are, and we, what he's calling us to do. So can we truly just respond to him with worship in our singing today? If we can, can we say amen? All right, that was almost. Let's try it again. Can we respond to God? If so, say amen. amen. There you go. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just give you praise. You're good. You, you bless us in so many ways. And Lord, you invite us on this Sunday morning to bring those blessings back to you to respond to you with praise. The, the truth is, Lord, though, that life isn't always just rainbows. The Lord, in this room, there's people that are going through hard times, difficult times. And so, Lord, I, I ask that you help us to see that you want those things as well. Not just our good, but our bad. Not just our easy, but our hard. And Lord, may we respond to the God who cares about all aspects of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. There we go. Let's sing together. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope. Like wildfire in our very souls Holy Spirit come invade us now Cause we are your church And we need your power in us We seek your kingdom first We hunger and we thirst
this morning, isn't it? That we would be here serving God, loving him, and leave a changed people. Amen.
lips, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've made. Every burning star, a signal fire of grace. If creation sings your praises, so will I.
100 billion is a really big number, isn't it? <laughs> I thought 10,000 was a lot. It's the morning of numbers. I'm reminded as I am singing about 100 billion times in the just gravity of that number, how many times I've read through this Old Testament and these people that just go back and forth, obeying God, not obeying God, following him and his ways, bowing to idols. It's just sort of ridiculous when you read it, right? It's a hundred billion. It's so many times, yet every time he welcomes us back because he has a best way that's for us that he wants us to follow. A salvation that is for every one of us. That was all unprepared. I'm going to read from Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. In his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself redeem Israel from all their sins.
steadfast faith and love that through your grace we may proclaim your truth with boldness and minister your justice with compassion for the sake of our Savior Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit one God now and forever Amen I got you. I'm here to help you, Amy. <laughs> hey, uh, does anybody like to do puzzles? Show of hands. Okay, what's the biggest puzzle? And I don't mean like size-wise, but pieces. What's the biggest puzzle? Shout it out. Two billion piece puzzle by Chris. I knew. 5,000. Has anybody done a 5,000? Is there such a thing? I don't really know. Is there, is there, have you, has anybody completed a 5,000 piece puzzle? David, are you serious? Oh my gosh, that's 10,000. Wow, Chris, that's impressive, man. <laughs> I'm not really a big puzzler, but um, I was on vacation last week and the weather was just brutal. We're, we went to the beach and it was cold and it was rainy. And so we spent a lot of time inside. And so we decided to tag team a uh, 1,000 piece puzzle that was like, colorful and flowers and it was just beautiful. I don't know if you know this about me, but I have a little bit of color blindness and so puzzles are just not my friend. It's really difficult. But I said, you know what, we're here. What else are we going to do? So we started this and we're making really good progress. You know, we, we got the, the frame outlined and then we started doing in the middle and, uh, and we were making really good progress. But then um, one day later in the week, it met the hands of some small children and uh, it kind of got, we should have seen this coming. We were in a house full of six kids, age seven and under. Like, we should have known. Why would you do a puzzle with all those kids in the house? But we did it anyway. It met the demise of some small hands. And uh, when I saw it, I just had this, this urge, this desire to put it back together, to fix it, right? To restore it, to, to rebuild this puzzle. And so when I saw it, I spent some time and I got it kind of back to where we were and, uh, and all was good. Spoiler alert, we didn't actually finish the puzzle. Right? We left it like halfway done for the next guest to, uh, to, to do. But the puzzle in, in our progress was, was destroyed and I needed to rebuild it. We kind of have this desire in our lives. When we see something that is kind of broken or messed up, we have this desire to see it kind of be fixed or to be rebuilt or put back together or restored. This month in youth group, we're, uh, we're kind of taking an interesting look at some things and we're, we're kind of looking at some of the things that Jesus did in his ministry, but then we're kind of going back and forth and we're going back to the Old Testament and we're looking at some of the prophets to see, you know, what did they say about this and, and how does that compare with what Jesus was doing? And we're kind of going back and forth on this and we're ultimately looking to see who is Jesus what was Jesus up to? What was Jesus doing during his ministry? But even beyond just asking the question, who was Jesus and what was Jesus doing? The question, that, that question shapes the question, what do we do then? As followers of Christ, what do we do? In one particular scene in Jesus's ministry, you may remember this, he kind of makes this really big scene in the middle of the temple. Right, he uh, he 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 kind of causes a little bit of chaos in the temple. Now, I want you to think back just really briefly with me about the history of the temple. The temple was a really big deal, 
right? In Jesus' time, the temple was a really big deal, but for all the years leading up to Jesus, the temple was significant. In fact, uh, early in the scripture, you see specific details about uh, that God has given for building the temple and what the temple should look like, and it was this place that would represent the presence of God. The temple was a really big deal, but as you know, the temple was destroyed in the midst of captivity. The, the temple was destroyed. And, and, and in Scripture, we see people, groups of people who are longing for the temple to be rebuilt. And they're, they're working to rebuild it. And when it's finally rebuilt, there's this big celebration. The temple was a really big deal. And rebuilding the destroyed temple was a big deal. Now, fast forward back to Jesus. Jesus is in the temple, and he sees some pretty not okay things. He essentially sees uh, the temple leaders kind of selling animal sacrifices because animal sacrifices were required of the people and some people didn't have them and so they were selling these animal sacrifices so that they would be able to worship uh, and they were essentially making a profit off of this certain group of people. They were essentially, one group of people was exploiting another group of people in order to make a profit and this made Jesus very upset and the story goes that he kind of, he turned the tables, he made a whip and whipped people and, and drove them out of the temple and just made this really big scene kind of destroying things in the temple. And as you can imagine, the people, the, the leaders of the temple were not very pleased, right? They were, they were upset at Jesus. And in this great interaction with, uh, with the temple leaders, Jesus basically says this. He says, this isn't even the temple. I'm the temple, and in fact, you're going to destroy me, the temple, but I'm going to be rebuilt in three days. Now, they were really unsure of what in the world this guy was talking about, but also it was very scandalous to say that I'm the temple, right? And, and you're going to destroy me, and I'm going to be rebuilt in three days. But we, we know what happens because we live on this side of history. But what's the point of this? What, what, what am I getting at? What I want my teenagers to see through this series, but I would invite you along in this journey is this. Jesus is in the business of rebuilding broken things. That's what Jesus came to do was to rebuild broken things, to rebuild our relationship with God, to restore that relationship, but also to restore our relationships with, with others here on earth. But he also, in, in scenes like this, the scene in the temple, we see that Jesus also came to kind of tear down systems that were unjust and exploiting other people and then rebuild them in a way that lifted other people up. And here's the really cool thing. We don't just look at these and we say, oh, this is what Jesus came to do. We also see that Jesus invites us to join in with that process as well. That Jesus invites us to play a part in rebuilding broken things. So my question for you this morning is, what do you see in your life that's broken? Maybe it's your relationship with God. Maybe it's your relationship with other people. Or maybe it's systems that you see in the world that are broken. And I would invite you and encourage you to seek God this week. To say, God, this is what I see that is broken. Would you do your work of rebuilding and then I would encourage you to go a step further and say, what is my role in helping to rebuild that broken things? May we be a people who joins in Jesus' mission of rebuilding things that have been destroyed. Thank you, Pastor Josh, for that awesome reminder. Well, we are in the midst of... Um, this is not complete, of course. We, we ripped out carpet because carpet will be installed this week, right, Ryan? And so we're, we're, we're thinking that for the most part, this project, this part of the project will be done here in the next couple weeks. And so on June 27th, we're having an all-in celebration day and we're having New Life Sunday, all this stuff rolled in together. We'll be doing some baptism, more, more baby dedications, just a great day of celebrating what God has done through his people in his church. And so I'm excited about that. I hope you're excited about that as we, we come towards uh, another big day in the life of our church. Now that's not the end, of course, there's still more to do and, and we're gonna keep moving forward, but it's a, an exciting end to this three-year journey we've been on, on All In, as far as what God has been able to do in his church. So mark that on your calendar. I look forward to seeing you all on June 27th. 
Uh, several years ago, Spencer and I used to do some trips be, when we moved up here, particularly and, and a little bit before when we moved up here because uh, his brothers were all out of the house, so it was just him and me. And so we've done several trips. And, and several years ago, we went to Natural Bridge in Kentucky. Who's been to Natural Bridge? Anybody ever been to Natural Bridge? Okay, one of us, maybe two of us. Natural Bridge. Uh, it, it's, it's a natural bridge in Kentucky. And, uh, and so we were there, we were doing some hiking, and, and so uh, Spencer calls it the, the natural bridge death march uh, that I took him on uh, because the signage wasn't great. And so I, I'm one of those guys that when I get out on a trail, I'm always interested on what's over the next hill, right? Anybody else like that? Uh, you know, I'm, when I'm driving down the road and it's time to stop and somebody needs to go to the restroom or needs to get something to eat, I'm always on more about that next exit uh, than the exit you're at. Anybody like that, you know? And, and so, you know, was the next next over the hill and the signage was bad and, and eventually we got disoriented and turned around and, and literally we ended up miles from where we need to be. Now, now thankfully, a natural bris, bridge has a skylift now. <laughs> and so we could skylift back to where we were supposed to be. And, and so we were a little bit disoriented. And, and you hear stories of people going out into nature and, and, and becoming disoriented, missing markers. And, uh, you know, so, sometimes there's great discoveries when people miss markers in, in, in the history of the world. But, but there's times where there's disaster that occurs when people get disoriented uh, where they are. Uh, it was July 16, 1999. Uh, John F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, took off from Martha's Vineyard with his wife and his sister-in-law, and, and and we were all sad to, to see uh, another one, this young guy die in a plane crash. And he, what what they determined happened was he suffered from spatial disorient, disorient disorientation, that, that, that he, he became disoriented to the markers around him, that, that he didn't have good visibility, that he was not really qualified to be flying in this type of weather, and, and, he, and he lost, uh, he was unable to determine his location and his speed, and because of this, and he could not find correct markers, he crashed, and they died. It's possible to experience spatial disorientation in life. It's possible to lose markers, to miss markers, to get disoriented, and in our life suffer major disappointments because we're not hitting the markers or we're not seeing the markers. We need proper markers. And, and, and so the Bible, one of our tools to find proper markers to, to, to not get disoriented is God's Word. Can I get an amen to that, right? God's Word helps us orient ourselves to, to the space around us. God's church, God's community, God, God's Spirit, all these things work together. That, that the Word and the church and God's Spirit work together together to keep us moving in the right direction. And, and so one of the things we're doing is we're working through 1 Thessalonians, uh, and we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians all summer long, but we're working particularly for the, through the first three chapters of 1 Thessalonians, and we're not verse by verse in it, but we're, but we're getting some overviews from this passage, from, from scriptures we're pulling out, and Paul is trying to give us some markers. As we're reading through this book, and as you read through 1 Thessalonians, one of the things that Paul's doing is he's trying to give us priorities. And we began this series last week with this simple understanding. People are the priority of the kingdom. That, that what's most important to, to the kingdom people are people. Now, now we talked about this a little bit in staff meeting. Every once in a while we'll use the phrase around here, upside down kingdom. And Mara was pushing back at a staff meeting or before a staff meeting about that phrase, this upside-down kingdom. And we understand when we use that phrase, as I use that phrase, we understand what we're saying is that God's kingdom seems upside-down when compared to the rest of the world, right? That God asks us to give and the world says take, and God asks us to forgive and the, the world says, hey, no, t t hold your grudge. And so in, in a lot of ways, God's kingdom is upside down. But the truth is, God's kingdom is not upside down. Our kingdoms are upside down, right? So, so when we're looking at this, it's not, oh, well, God's calling me to do something that's not right. God's calling us to do something that's upright. Why is that important? 
It goes back to a phrase I've used several times over the past several months, and it's become a phrase that, that I, I just love. This is not what God wants from you. This is what God wants for you. That when God calls his people, to his kingdom people, to make people a priority, it's not like God saying, hey, here's the expectation, and this isn't easy, and this isn't natural, and this is not what you want to do, and this isn't good for you. God's saying, this is the way you should live. That people are important, and they should be your priority. Also, and we talked about this very briefly last week, and there's also this thing that, that sometimes people that don't claim faith, and you've encountered, you've been outside the church much, there's people that, that, that don't have a belief system, and yet they make people their priority. And the, and the reality is, truth is truth, right? Truth is truth. And so God's truth is out there. And I truly believe there's people that grab hold onto the truth of God without knowing that that truth has come from God. And so there's people that live this without really understanding the nature of our God. But as kingdom people, people who are following Jesus, our priorities should be kingdom priorities. As a church, we should reflect Kingdom priorities, that is what matters, and people should be our priority. So I want to look at another passage from 1 Thessalonians, and I'm going to be in chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 6 through 12. It's a short passage, but it's absolutely fascinating to me. It just intrigued me. I think I read it last week, and as I read this, it's just something about it. It just draws me. Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he, he was a, had been a pastor or a missionary there. He had started this church, and he's writing to these people. He says, we're not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked day, night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Now, now in this short passage, Paul uses three images of how they dealt with the people of the church of Thessalonians. He says, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. We dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. <laughs> and so throughout this passage, Paul uses three times family imagery of how they dealt with the church. All within the space of five verses, child, mother, and father. And that's not even counting that later on he says, he calls them what? Brothers and sisters. And so in this passage, there's all these family words. You know, you, you think about family. And you think about the commitment it takes. Friday night, Terry and I were uptown Friday night. And there was this young couple and, and they had this huge dog it was well over 100 pounds, wasn't it? And there was a smaller dog, and the huge dog was really wanting to eat the smaller dog. And so they were standing there, and then, and then the, the dad had a young child. I, I, what did they say, nine months old or something like that? So the dog was two years old, still growing, probably 150, 160 pounds, and then this baby in front of the father, and we had a little bit of a discussion. I was talking, petting the dog, and talking to them, asking how old the kid was. And, and um, the, the, the wife or the mother said, you know, 
I'm not sure which is going to be harder to race, this dog or this kid. And I looked at her and said, I can tell you which will be harder to race. The kid's going to be far more difficult to raise than the dog. See, family takes commitment. Family takes time. If you're going to raise a family, if you're going to be a family person, it takes both a quantity of time and a quality of time. It takes both. To, to be part of a family, it takes patience. Husbands, look at your wives. Wives, look at your husbands and say amen, right? It takes patience to be a part of a family. There is an investment when we're dealing with family. There's risk. There's risk. There's vulnerability. You know, to, to, to commit to a spouse, to, to have kids, there, there's pain. There's joy and there's sorrow. Sometimes it's easy and fruitful and great, and sometimes it's like swimming upstream. See, a family is a complex balance of love, humility, and care. That's a family. And Paul uses these images in his passage. He says, the humility of a child, the love of a mother, the care of a father. Now, this goes without saying, but Paul's using these images just as... Um, a way of discussing these things. He's not saying that kids can't love and kids can't care. And, and you know, I, I, I'm a father. That doesn't mean that I'm not called to humility and love, right? We, we all play a part, but he's using these images just to kind of pull these things out. Talks the, the humility of a child, the acceptance of a child in this church. You can't control everything. When I was growing up, it, my family was pretty open to different things. We, we really had a lot of choices when it was time to eat. Um, we could choose to eat what mom cooked, or we could choose not to eat, right? Anybody else raised like that? You know, as a kid, you, you don't have the same level of choice. You know, we, you know, I didn't pick vacations. If we went on vacation, I didn't pick what we did on weekends. You know, I'll be honest, I didn't pick going to church most of the time. Guess what? They just put me in the car and we went. I'm glad they did that. But as a child, there's this humility of just kind of accepting circumstances as they are. Paul's saying we could have asserted authority, demanded obedience, but we didn't. We could have demanded support, but we didn't. We worked to support ourselves. It talks about the nurturing love of a mother. I love my boys. Uh, Terry was a much better at this stuff, the nurturing kind of stuff. You know, I've talked about often when they got hurt playing sports, she was the one, oh, my baby, I was the one, get up. <laughs> Wipe some dirt on it. I've shared this, Terry, Terry loved to rock him, but when it was time to break him of rocking, that was me because I counted rocks, right? One, two, three, four. And I figured a hundred rocks was enough for anybody. So mothers, you know, I, I think it's okay to just acknowledge that we're all called to these things. But moms typically are different. And Paul's trying to pull something else out. The protecting care of a father. And that's, that, that's something we can dig into. See, the, the, the general theme is here, people are the priority of the kingdom. And that matters outside these walls. But, but what I want us to see in this passage here is this is about the church. You know, people are the priority of the kingdom outside these walls. So these principles apply in your neighborhoods, in your homes, where you work. But, but I think it's important that we see that Paul is writing a letter to the church. But, but Paul didn't didn't get a publisher, he, he, didn't, he didn't get a Kindle book deal, he, he, he didn't just say, hey, I want to write this book and get it out there. Paul wrote a love letter to a church that he had been a part of for that church. And it has relevance for our church. See, a church is meant to be like a family. 
A family is a complex balance of love, humility, and care. And a church is a complex, a church family is a complex balance of love, humility, and care. Church takes commitment. It's not just a quality of time, it's a quantity of time. It takes both. To be part of a church takes patience. To, to really be part of a church takes investment and risk and vulnerability. Well, when you're part of a church, there's joy and there's sorrow. It's not easy and sometimes it's very difficult. To be part of a church it takes humility. We'll not always get our way, but we stay committed. It takes nurturing love. We must care for one another. Why? Because according to Paul, and not just Paul, church is like a family. Um, several years ago, it's, these boys are all grown men now, but it's a story I love to tell. My, my nephew, Danny, was always a big kid, and, and he was kind of getting picked on by a kid just a little bit littler, littler than him in my dad's barber shop, and he's kind of bugging him, and, and Denny was five or six years younger than Danny, and Denny watched this, and he was three or four, and he watched this as long as he could take it, and finally he was just on top of this kid pestering his brother, probably doing the same things he would do the rest of the day, but he was on top of him ready to fight. Why? Because it was family. <laughs> it was his brother. So how are you doing with your church? Are you suffering spatial disorientation? <laughs> I think COVID-19 maybe gave us some spatial disorientation, and sometimes we forget the importance of things. Or, or maybe, how are you doing with, with your church family? There's this great story in the New Testament, and Jesus is with his disciples, and, and his, his mother and his brothers show up. And the implication of the passage is, it doesn't expressly say this, but the implication of the passage is this, that, that Jesus is going off and he's declaring these things, that he's you know, prophet, messiah, and he's doing all these things, and, and, and his family's concerned about his sanity. That's the implication of the passage. If they're there to maybe see if they can't get him out of this situation so maybe they can bring him back to, to reality. And Jesus is about his heavenly father's business, right? And Jesus is sitting with his disciples. And they say, hey, your, your mother and your brothers are outside. And, and Jesus says, behold, look, my mother and my brothers... <laughs> You know, I thought about that passage, and I think about us sitting here. Can you look around just for a moment? If you're suffering from spatial disorientation, can you just look around for a moment and realize your mother and your brothers and your sister? This is just not an organization that you're a part of. God has called us to family. And the church is to reflect that. Do you value your church like family? Do, do you value this gathering like family? We sang a song, So Will I, and, and it's the word, the phrase that always, the, the, the last phrasing in that song, um, it, it always, it's hard for me to even sing. But one of the lines is, you're the one who never leaves the one behind. Oh, it always just cuts me. As I think of God in that way. Several years ago, Dylan was probably three or four, and we were in Dick's Sporting Goods store, and, and uh, all of a sudden he was gone. And we're looking and searching, and I mean, we're, we're ready to shut the store down, and he pops out of a tent and goes, gotcha! He's playing a joke on us. The truth is, this dad, this mom, were ready to tear that place apart to find our kid. Do you see people in this community in that same way? 
You're the one who never leaves the one behind. You know how God does that? God does it through his spirit, sure, but he does it particularly through his people. His people, full of his spirit, accomplish God's mission. And so he puts us together as family, and, and we see each other as brother and sister, mother and father, grandma and grandpa. And we see each other in that way, and it moves us forward. Do you see this as a place or a people? Do you see family? Well, heads bowed, all eyes closed. Our altars are always available. And, and, and maybe, maybe you need to adjust some spatial disorientation. Maybe, maybe you need God just to speak to you in a special way. Maybe, maybe you don't feel like a part and you need to reach out to me and, or, or one of our staff. We, we want to plug you in. We don't want you to feel disconnected. We want to help. Maybe you just need to listen to God for a few moments. So all heads bowed, all eyes closed. Let's listen to him for a few moments and respond. Our Heavenly Father, we're in a holy place. It's a place that's been set aside for you. We invite you, Heavenly Father, speak, to direct, to guide. Lord, the, the truth is we, we live in an upside-down kingdom, and you want things to be right. Not because you're demanding, not because you need things from us or want things from us, that these are the things you want for us. And Lord, you do that through your word, through your spirit, and through your visible presence on this earth, the church. The, the church is not humankind's invention, creation, But Lord, the church comes from you. Jesus loved the church so much that he's ready to die for it. And the invitation for us is to recognize this gift, the gift of family, and make it a priority in our lives. Lord, as we look at our lives, I think most of us can see the shift in society. The importance we once placed to gatherings, to small groups in Sunday schools, to service and giving. The world pulls us from those things. And the reality is, it's not that the world wants something better for us. It's something less. So Lord, remind us again. Remind us of the value of these people, this church, this family. Lord, I, I love you. And I thank you that for my entire life I've been blessed by church and not just something that we did but Lord I've been part of church family that's what we want here now Lord I pray to that for that one that that doesn't feel that connection Lord I confess that as a pastor, as, as staff, as a church, we've not always done things right. 
There's been times where we missed the mark. We failed. Lord, help us to do those things that make those relationships right. Lord, I pray for that person that may come into this place as a guest. May there be this overwhelming sense of home, of belonging, of safety. I pray for our kids, our teens and our kids that are in this sanctuary. Lord, may they have memories of this place of acceptance and love and joy. May may there not be horror stories of, of judgmental attitudes, of not fitting in. But Lord, when they look back, may there be fond memories of people who love them dearly and accepted them just like they are. Now, Lord, as we leave this place, people remain our priority. Help us now, Lord, to um, see people like you see people. And Lord, allow your spirit to guide us as you'd have us live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless.